Welcome to Leonard Lopate at Large. I'm Leonard Lopate. It's been a few months since the brother and sister team of Catherine Petrus and Ross Petrus visited our show to take your calls on language usage and, and pronunciation, so we thought it was time to invite them back. They are popular books on language. That doesn't mean what you think it means, the 150 most commonly misused words and, and their tangled histories. And the, the other one, You're Saying It Wrong, a pronunciation guide to the 150 most commonly mispronounced words and their tangled histories of misuse are both published by 10 Speed Press. And they have a new one coming out in March called Awkward. That's uh, awkward with an O, awkward moments. A Lively Guide to the 100 Terms Smart People Should Know. And they also have a podcast called You're Saying It Wrong. Uh, during these shows, we invite you to call in with your questions. And our number here is 212-209-2877. I'm very pleased to welcome Catherine and Ross Petras back to our show. Hi. Hey, Leonard. Hi, Leonard. On a recent episode of your podcast, you talked about the correct way to pronounce foreign place names. Was that inspired by the impeachment hearings with people pronouncing uh, Kiev or Kiev uh, in different ways? Uh, is How'd there a you correct, guess? <laughs> is there a correct way? Because we even see different spellings. Well, actually, it depends on where you're coming from. The Ukrainians, um, you know, Kiev, Kiev is the capital of Ukraine. They pronounce it differently than the Russians do and that we do. We traditionally have always pronounced it Kiev, which I would have naturally said. However, Ukrainians, which is a different language than Russian, prefer the pronunciation. And I can't do it well. Kathy is good at this. No, I'm not great at it. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's the first I. It's, like, it's, it's actually it's not Kiev. People think it's just Kiev now, but it's actually still two syllables. And the first I is sort of like you say it in kids. So it's more like Kiev, Kiev. It's like a slight multisyllable there. I'm assuming that the reason we pronounced it the way that we did is because uh, uh, Ukraine used to be part of the USSR, and it's the Russian way of saying it, Kiev. Correct. Precisely. So now if you say Kiev, you're kind of like slamming the Ukrainians in the face because they're no longer part of the USSR and they are an independent country. So they're pretty bullish on, like, don't say Kiev any longer. What about foreign service officers who served in Ukraine? Uh, Were they using the Ukrainian pronunciation while the senators were using the American-Russian pronunciation? Oh, times have changed because I was in the U.S. Foreign Service years ago. And I remember I had a couple of friends who were in the uh, EUR Bureau in that area. And as I recall, they would say Kiev, unless they were speaking Ukrainian, when they would say Kiev. Mm. But, but I was in the Foreign Service pre, mostly pre, uh, uh, pre-independence. So it was mostly there in the Soviet era. So therefore, that, that would be Soviet pronunciation. I imagine it's changing now. The one thing that we got into this last time, though, and it's really interesting, is there's sort of a very sloppy convention about how you pronounce foreign place names. For example, Greece in, in Greek is not Greece, it's Elas, but you would never call it Elas, you'd call it Greece, because we basically have accepted a, a basically a, a good English pronunciation for that country is Greece. Germany we don't call Deutschland, which is the German way of saying it. Paris we pronounce Paris, not Paris. Spain, and, not España. Mexico, not Mexico. Ro- mm-hmm. Rome, not Roma. Russia is Russia in Russian. Right. 
And what's the capital of uh, Russia? Yeah, Mokba? Yeah, it's not <laughs> Moscow, which we... But that's an interesting one, though, because sometimes the English pronunciations are in a weird way, oddly enough, more correct. They're fossilized pronunciations. Apparently, I think with Moscow, it was pronounced something more like Moscow, in, and I'm going to get hundreds of Russian speakers flooding the phones after I say Good. this. But from what I've read, it was pronounced more. It was pronounced similarly to Moscow in medieval times. And then Russian changed, but the, the, that pronunciation got fossilized into English. What I don't a, know if that's true. I've heard that. What about Ukraine? A lot of people call it the Ukraine. What about people who live there? Again, that's another touchy subject, because the Ukraine... Is, is, is when it was a, a part of the USSR. Mm. As an as a independent country, it's simply Ukraine. And that is, it's, again, we go back to during the hearings, and I, I'm, I know that you heard it as well as I did. A lot of people are still saying the Ukraine, but that is actually very frowned upon. And it's the same thing we go back to Kiev. Although Ross and I were talking when we were talking about Kiev slash Kiev, what about things like chicken Kiev? I mean, this sounds <laughs> ridiculous, but you start wondering, do you call it chicken Kiev now? <laughs> I mean, well, it, it gets complicated. It is, not, it is no longer a Ukrainian dish, I imagine. And that's yeah, the other thing. Right. Things take on a life of their own uh, when they're pronounced in a way that we find comfortable, I imagine. Uh, Ross mentioned that he was in the Foreign Service, but didn't the two of you live in Egypt as children? Uh, because yeah, your father worked yeah. at the American embassy there. Uh, yes. So um, how uh, – I, I was curious, uh, since we were talking about this, how are Egypt, Cairo, Alexandria, or something like the Sphinx pronounced there? Are they all totally different from the way we pronounce them? Well, Egypt is really interesting because in in Egyptian or in Egyptian Arabic, it's, it's Egypt is, is written as pronounced Misr or Masr. M-I-S-R in, in classical Arabic and M-A-S-R in um, colloquial Arabic. In Hebrew, it's There's no resemblance to, to no. Egypt. <laughs> no, Egypt actually came, if you want a little bit of pop etymology, apparently it came from uh, the Egyptian word for house of Ptah, ancient Egyptian word for house of Ptah, the, one of the gods of ancient Egypt. Apparently Greeks heard that, and ancient Greeks heard that and kind of got out of that, Egyptos. Don't ask me how, and then it became Egypt because <laughs> it's typical Greek. Though <laughs> we're both Greek in background, we're used to Greeks sort of mangling words everywhere. But but it became Egyptos, which became Egypt in uh, English. Uh, when you were, where were you stationed, Ross? Oh, I was in uh, the Middle East and in Washington, Saudi Arabia, then TDYs in uh, Sudan and Egypt. Does the State Department have rules about language and pronunciation, or does it vary by country? Uh, they do have rules. I don't quite remember how it was done in English. I mean, they teach you the foreign language of the country you're going to, and then, of course, then you translate it then. But I do believe they do, like as does BBC. I don't remember anymore, though. I mean, there are standard ways of pronouncing words, and I, I, can't, I can't answer that. I don't remember. Now, uh, they, we do pronounce some the way they are pronounced in the country of origin. Uh, Oaxaca, even though it, I guess, because Oaxaca might be weird. Buenos Aires, <laughs> Quito. Uh, on the other hand, uh, the uh, years ago, the English pronunciation of the capital of China was changed from Peking to Beijing. Was it always Beijing? Well, that's an, that's an interesting one. I, I've talked to a number of um, Chinese speakers at the University of Toronto here in Toronto, and, I mean, of course, there was a 
translate there was a transliteration of the of the Chinese um, of Chinese into English into into like Western letters, and that Western letter transliteration it was always Bay the B E I was always Bay it means North Beijing means Northern Capital, but this guy who Wade Giles who did the uh, pronunciation that B they wrote it like with an aspirator or not aspirated the way they said it. They wrote that with a P. So we look at that P, even though it's supposed to be pronounced B in their transliteration system, and we would pronounce it P, even though even then they thought it was Bay. That's interesting, because I must say I didn't know that. I always assumed it was P, you know, back then it was supposed to be P. No, it was supposed to be Bay even back then, but we apparently just took that P sort of transliteration thing and said, oh, that's a B. Well, when you say well, that's we... That's with transliteration do, so often. I mean, we really have that issue when you're, when you're not using our, our standard, our alphabet, you know? And that, we go yeah. back to, that's a problem with a lot of Russian as well, with the Cyrillic, Greek. I mean, we go back and The thing I just want to say with Beijing is it's not Beijing. It's Beijing. Well, Most the, of us say it more zhe, like the, the J is a zhe, but it's really a, a J like as in jump. Now, Which, I, I mean, I never knew that. Should we blame the British? Because they, they changed Sri Lanka to Ceylon. To Ceylon. Uh, they made everything a little easier to pronounce. Are they the reason we call Germany Germany and not Deutschland? Um, a lot of times languages... Uh, when, that's an interesting question, and it's very varied. There's mm. many different reasons why various letter things came in. For example, going back to Greece just for one second, why is it Greece and not, like I said, Halas? Halas, not because, yeah. Because the, there was a tribe that Aristotle had noted of Graeci in Halas, and the Latins, the Romans who conquered Greece, took those Graeci and expanded it to include all Greeks. And then Graeci came into English, Graeci came, Graeci came into English as Greece. So in that sense, it came in that way. Germany came from a uh, tribal group in that area, and um, it caught on. But there's a lot of times it's capricious. Mm. Why does this one thing come this way? Why does that one thing come not that way? It's also a lot of times, I mean, like, before Germany became what we now know as, as larger Germany, and before they called it Deutschland, there were parts that were still, the Germans called themselves Germans. I mean, <laughs> there were parts that were Germany. So, I mean, a lot of times it's also the evolution, like you were saying, Ross, before about how Moscow initially actually sounded more like Moscow. A lot of times what we think of is an Anglo-Saxon Anglo, Anglo- Anglo- <laughs> right now. now. Thank you. I, I'm saying it wrong. And it's not a foreign um, the word. The word isn't. It actually was that word at some point, and it became something else. You know what I mean? You're... Listening to Leonard Lopate at large, listen on listener-sponsored, non-commercial WBAI New York, and uh, my guests are two language experts, regulars on our show, Catherine and Ross Petrus. And when they're here, we invite your calls because language uh, is a, an issue that we all debate in our lives. So we invite you to call us with your concerns, 212-209-2877. It doesn't have to be about the names of cities or countries. It could be uh, about any language concern that you have, 212-209-2877. You did a a recent podcast, uh, two of them, in fact, episodes on German words that have become accepted into English, like schadenfreude, uh, zeitgeist, weltschmerz, 
Uh, do you find that many Americans use them? Or, and if they do, are they pronouncing them correctly? Actually, those are ones that, on the whole, I think they are pronouncing them more right than, than you'd think. The real issue comes when people use them incorrectly. I think we called it, I mean, just colloquially between ourselves, Ross and I, the cool-sounding German word club, because I think a lot of people like how they sound, and you sound sort of hotsy-totsy throwing in zeitgeist, but you're not completely sure what it means. You might be saying it right, but you're using it wrong. It's one of those odd conundrums. And that's what we found more often than not. And I think especially in writing and especially online um, magazines and such, such blogs and so forth, people chucking in these words because they think it makes them sound a little more erudite. And sadly, all they're doing is proving they have no idea what they're talking about. But uh, these are words that have been adopted because there aren't any good English equivalents, right? Uh, Precisely. Schadenfreude is, is a perfect word for that. I can't really think of a word that even is even nearly equivalent to Schadenfreude in English. Can you guys or not? Just think. Well, uh, no. they're, they're all co- compound words. Uh, zeitgeist, what, what, what would that be? The, the, the current thinking or something like yeah, that? Yeah, the, 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 the spirit of the times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, in English, we don't have that many compound words, but you also say the closest translation for Welchmers is ennui or angst, uh, but that they don't fully capture the meaning, uh, which is a kind of a world weariness. And on, I was amused uh, to think about the fact that ennui and angst are also foreign words. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I guess the English speakers are too cheerful to have too much ennui, angst, or Welchmers. I don't know. Although You're there's right. been an uptick in, Vel- in the use of Welchmers. I had checked it online, and let me tell you, it's increased. It's, a, it's, a, it's part of the zeitgeist, if you will. <laughs> Are there other, any other German words that you think should be more popular here? Um, well, we said Welchmers, we said Schadenfreude. I'm big on Sturm und Drang. I love mm. that. I think that's a wonderful phrase, and I think it should be used more often. And that's when you don't see that often. Um, what else? I'm just trying to think what else you can think of, because those are really the ones I think of immediately. There's Schadenfreude, Weltschmerz, Zeitgeist, Sturm und Drang, Doppelganger, but that's mm-hmm. not a good thing. that's commonly used. I mean, I think yeah. at this point. Or not everyone, but most people do, I think. But that's a good word, too, though, because it's a double. It's not quite the same thing in English, because it's a double, but kind of a, a mystical double with a, perhaps an evil, mm. something evil... About it. I mean, we, we imagine our an book, evil think, twin. Yeah, an evil twin. But there's a. I mean, like Lincoln apparently saw his doppelganger before he was uh, shot, mm. looking in the mirror. And apparently, I mean, there's like some talk that he actually felt that he really did see uh, an evil twin. And it turns out probably mirrors in those days were not as, as meticulously designed. And probably he saw like a mm-hmm. kind of like a split image from a mirror. But it was interesting. Well, presumably he didn't really see an evil spirit. I mean, or did he? Now, now well, I'm worried. He did see an ev- evil spirit <laughs> later when somebody later. shot him. Oh. Uh, sh- again, the number here is 212-209-2877 if you want to speak to uh, Catherine and, and Ross. And we have a number of people who are waiting to do just that. So let's talk to them. BAI, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, Leonard. Always a pleasure. Uh, in context of uh, today's program, I'd like to bring up the pronunciation of three rather well-known composers whose names are often mispronounced. 
Uh, even on classical stations, and one of them is Sergei Prokofiev. Three syllables, Prokofiev, but it's often pronounced Prokofiev, four syllables. Oh, a Prokofiev. Oh, Prokofiev, yes, and so it should be three syllables, Prokofiev, and also, on the, uh, in the same country, uh, Modest Mussorgsky, with emphasis on the first syllable, and it's often pronounced Mussorgsky, and as Richard Taruskin has mentioned in the course of his lectures, it should be Mussorgsky. And uh, if I may include one more composer, the Czech composer, Leos Janáček, which is the Ooh. appropriate Czech pronunciation, but his name is usually pronounced Janáček. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to throw that out as a, uh, a corrective to the... Uh, the subject of matter of today's program. That's interesting, cause the, the, the whole concept of like people mispronouncing uh, composers. We found the same thing. Again, we go back to it's, it's, it's unfortunate. A lot of times when people are trying to sound learned, they're mispronouncing the person's name. The one that always gets me is a kid I could never pronounce, and I'm going to spell it because we all know how it's pronounced now, I hope, G-O-E-T-H-E. -E. I mean, obviously not a proposer or a writer. Yeah. I always thought it was Goethe. And I would, when I would be in school and someone referred to Goethe, I had no idea who that was, because I was thinking about ghosts, you know? And, and as you get older, thank heavens, you learn how to do it properly. But it gets me, what you're saying is how often uh, uh, someone on a classical station will mispronounce it, uh, the composer. You're right. And then there's the whole matter of sounds that are not natural to English speakers. So uh, I oh, hear exactly. any a... people say Bach, they don't say Bach. Van Gogh, not Van Gogh. Van Gogh. I, can't, I have a Dutch friend. He's always telling me I'm mispronouncing it, even when I try to pronounce it like, like he does. But it's Van Gogh. Isn't it Van Gogh, in fact? Yes. Yes, I mean, you're I right. It's that. not even a V. Yeah. I think what we have to do in English, though, is we have to like make compromises. I mean, they don't pronounce, a lot of times, German, Germans or Dutch people, Dutch are pretty good, but a lot of Germans don't pronounce English words particularly correctly, and they have different words for... Um, our capital cities or whatever, too. We have to sort of arrive at a rough consensus, I think. Yeah, but many well, people talk honest, about Nueva York, York, where we are. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I remember as a kid, I always thought it was Nueva New York, and my dad said, no, <laughs> you don't understand. <laughs> Thank you so much for your call. Did you want to add anything before I go to the next call? Us? Yes. Okay. Um, no. <laughs> okay, let's go to the next call. I think we covered it. <laughs> okay, BAI, you're on the air. Yes. Go ahead. Hello. Yes. Hi. Uh, is this Leonard? Yes. Oh, hi. <laughs> uh, it's always a pleasure to listen to these shows. Uh, also, the uh, Home Fix-It guys, I like them, too. <laughs> They're going to be on next week. Oh, great, great. I'll tune in. Anyway, uh, just wanted to say a few things about... <laughs> Ukraine, I mean, Ukraina in, in Ukrainian, I would think, or at least it's that way in, in Russian. And it actually means, get this, Krai is edge, okay? So it means U at the edge. So huh. a typical uh, American construction or English-American whatever construction is the Ukraine, I mean, from back in the 40s, 50s. Uh, before that even but uh that that's wrong because then you're saying the at the edge <laughs> that's right? fascinating when that happens because i was recently in spain my husband and i were in granada and you have the the alhambra but technically alhambra is is got the, the the in it already but you wouldn't say like 
just mm-hmm. Alhambra. I mean, even their own um, stuff does it. It just has it as one word. So, so often we're adding the extra the when we don't need it. You're right. I wonder about right. Crimea because it just you know, it just lends itself to so many puns, like Crimea River. <laughs> oh, right. that pains me. <laughs> now, speaking of Crimea, I uh, I don't know whether this is actually true, but somebody told me recently that it was Khrushchev who uh, uh, put uh, Crimea back into Ukraine, <laughs> and uh, and now this has become a sore point because. The majority population there is actually ethnic Russian in that whole peninsula. Mm. Yeah, he he actually did. He transferred it in 1954. Actually, right, right. That's the year that that person cited. Although the majority, it's interesting though. The problem with histories all the time are there's always complications because probably the majority population prior to the Russian Empire would be the Tatars, mm. okay. who were the some of the earlier inhabitants of it who were transferred. Um, east by Stalin during during World War II because they were he was scared that they would be anti-Soviet. Um, so it's always a, a mixture of different cultures and different peoples in these areas. But you are right; it was it was part of Russia and it was transferred in 1954. Khrushchev was Ukrainian in background, and I presume right, right. I think he had a soft spot for yeah. <laughs> now, what about marrying, what about pronouncing uh, that name Khrushchev? If it's a K and an H together, it's a H. This should be You're Khrushchev. Right. Khrushchev. Yes. Khrushchev. Or, that, Khrushchev yesterday Khrushchev, we talked about Khodorkovsky <laughs> on our show. I'm starting to yeah. panic now, you realize. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, it's not so hard to make the sound huh? yeah, Why can't we do it? The Russian one. <laughs> like I was in college. Uh, and uh, as an aside note to that, now we were talking about the capital. I mean, you guys were talking about the capital of uh, Ukraine, too. And uh, I, we went through a whole class, and it didn't give, like, geographical, but there happened to be a chapter where they mentioned the capital. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it came up as, as something very close to what the Americans always said, Kiev, like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, there was a uh, Ukrainian guy in the class or somebody of Ukrainian extraction, and he said, now he's from the far eastern part of Ukraine, and he said it should be pronounced cave. And uh, Interesting. Said, cave, that sounds weird, <laughs> you know. And he yeah. said, well, that's how my people pronounce it, and we're from, you know, the east. And what turns out to be also influenced more by Russian speakers, because that's that was how, you know, that fomented the whole, uh, you know, uh, dispute. Or mm. Auseinandersetzung. Here's another German word for you. Auseinandersetzung. Used a lot. What's in, that one? Uh, this is a new one to me. Auseinandersetzung literally means like dispute in German. But I'm sorry, it, that one is not going to come into my vocabulary. But you know, people do <laughs> people do pronounce uh, cities from their own in their own countries differently throughout the countries. The last time you were on, I think we talked about Missouri. Yeah, so, and that was a state that you know, I would only say Missouri, but they say Missouri. So yeah, okay, let's take and another Baltimore call instead of Baltimore. Baltimore, yes. Yeah, Baltimore. favorites though is uh, Greenwich Village, 
but there's a Greenwich, New Jersey, as I recall, somewhere. And I, I vaguely recall being there. Someone go, I said, you know, Greenwich. They go, uh, no, Greenwich. Oh, I thought I mean, the Greenwich was in the show Wicked. <laughs> You're really bad about the park letters. <laughs> <laughs> Should we take another call? Hi, PAI, you're on the air. Hi. Go ahead. Love your, love your show, and uh, but when I'm calling and I'm on hold, I think of 50 other things to say. But <laughs> just, just uh, by the way, uh, the, the redundant the you, were, you touched mm. on, my favorite mm. one, it's like hoi polloi. The word hoi means the. So if you refer to the hoi polloi, <laughs> that's a redundant the. It's, it's true, really but then hard. if you, but the thing is, this is a case where people hypercorrect. In the case of hoi polloi, if you just say hoi polloi, a lot of times people are going to correct you incorrectly and say it's the hoi polloi. You know, yeah, it, it, it's know. one of those things where you run into trouble when you're right. It's such a it's such a conundrum, like this, like the spelling of like put make ends meet. It should be m e t e. In, in other words, measure. It's not connect. It doesn't mean M-E-E-T. It's me, you understand. You, you make ends distribute correctly. Anyway, but if you correct it, some people will think you're wrong, and you're not going to be there to say S-I-C. I understand. But here's the cool thing. The word you were mentioning, zeitgeist, geist mm-hmm. meaning spirit or ghost. I love the word, and correct me if I'm wrong, that it, it's the root of both Guest and host, opposites. Hmm. Is that correct? That's interesting. Yeah, the the root of you know guest, meaning you know, I mean, or, or ghost. Yes. Ghost means is the root of both host and guest. How many other words are the roots of the opposites? Well, I mean, we've talked about correct? that on this show in the past as well. Uh, that's a that's a whole thing that we could get become rather could messy get with. Deeply yes. into. <laughs> we could go on for hours. You could say the ed- etymology in terms of etymology, but that it spawns the opposite words with the opposite meaning. Yeah. I think it's like makes it really an anomaly. That's interesting because there's so many words in English currently that mean the opposite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like cleave. You, you cleave can be to cut. Cleave can be to. Cleave can be to. Hang on to, to. Um, you know, to, to cleave, to, to come together. Yeah. So you, there's a number of words. I'm just trying to think offhand. Rod, you and I have talked about this, words that mean the exact opposite at the same time. Oh, yeah, there are, there are quite a few in, in My English. mind is blanking. I can only think of cleave right now. Okay, let me just try to think. Um, buckle. Buckle can mean fasten together or can mean collapse. Mm-hmm. That's sort of opposite. Well, that's right. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, dust. You dust. You can do like dusting in terms of like throwing dust on a crop, or you can dust a house and you're picking Wiping up the up. dust. Moving the, the dust. Yeah. Um, trying to think. You're doing um, okay. Um, I'm impressed, Ross. You're doing nicely. Lease is always a pain. Overlook. Lease, lease can mean you rent it or you're you're offering it for rent for lease or I leased it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a little different, though. That's that's not quite a contronym, I don't think. I was thinking okay, overlook, because overlooking is you supervise something or you don't see something. Okay, the other one I was going to go through, we had it in our book, and it's a really tricky one, is peruse. Because we nowadays mostly use peruse to mean to skim. 
Um, but the original. Do we? I don't. Well, then you're good because <laughs> a lot of people I am do. Good. <laughs> you are. You're in the correct zone here because it technically started to mean um, the original meaning was to look at very carefully. And right. Then it, it, and it caught on the opposite meaning of uh, to quickly skim it. I hear it all the time as to skim. Should, interesting. I don't. Should we put what another call in, uh, on? Yes. Okay. We'll the peruse AI. this. <laughs> yeah. Hello? Are you yes. perusing us? Yes, I'm waiting. You're on the air. Hello, you're on the air. I have a harsh addition. Mm-hmm. I have a harsh addition to that last. Hello, can I be heard? Yes, you're fine. Yes. And that... And the word is brutalize, which goes two ways. Can you brutalize. explain? Brutalize. This is interesting. Okay, now I'm, I'm, I'm go ahead. I'm curious. Listen, I'm listening. Well, when one is brutalized, unfortunately, one becomes uh, brutalized, having been brutalized. Interesting. You're right. Thanks. It's sort of like, Ross, what you were talking about with the other two words. Um, in the case of brutalized, yeah, it's like lease and lease, like what Ross was saying. It's the action and then the condition. Correct. Right. Nicely put. Well, My concern is what I want to call, I'm getting unfortunate static, um, uh, newspeak. Such as? I think we're having uh. problems with that connection. And I want to uh, remind everybody that this is listener-sponsored, non-commercial WBAI in New York. Let it locate at large. I say either, you say neither, and I say neither, either, either, and either, neither. Let's call the whole thing off. Yes, you like potato, and I like potato. You like tomato, and I like tomato. Potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Let's call the whole thing off. But oh, if we call the whole thing off, then we must part. I don't want to call the whole thing off. I'm very happy to have as my guest today. Catherine and Ross Petrus, uh, authors of a number of books. Later, we'll talk about their new one. But we are also taking your calls at 212-209-2877. And we'll get to those calls in just a moment, 212-209-2877. But I wanted to mention, of course, um, some words that uh, maybe not all that many Americans were aware of from Latin. And now I would think pretty much everybody knows quid pro quo. Uh, I think you can't not at this point. (laughs) Well, since Latin isn't a required course in most schools, do we tend to use these words when they come up in a legal context? Um, Many Latin words, yes. I mean, you you still find it. But again, it's sort of like what we were saying with zeitgeist and the the other German words. I'm finding um, more and more Latin phrases popping up in uh, attempts to sound uh, smart or erudite or whatever. So I think that there is like a trend towards that. I mean, it's weird. What I'm finding, especially online, is on one hand, you have like a a simpler language. On the other hand, you have a more gussied up language. It's a very strange dichotomy. And 
I, I mean, you run across sine qua non now. Um, what are other uh, Latin phrases like? Well, the, the ones that really get me, and I think you, Kathy wrote up on it, are I-E and E-G, because those are, I-E stands for id est, which means that is. And then E-G, but it's a lot of times it's confused with E-G, which um, stands for example or exemplum, and that's commonly uh, commonly confused, isn't it, Kathy? You had said that. Yeah, those two are a lot of times. I forget there's a simple mnemonic that I always... Um, but aren't they relatively on. interchangeable? Not exactly, actually. Most people think they are. Um, I.E. is supposed to be, uh, in other words, yeah, is the simplest way to put it. Is. And that's the way you can remember it, because the I means in other words, whereas E.G. is an example. So uh, I'm trying to, I can't come up with an example. <laughs> I can't come up with an example. That's perfect. Um, E.G. I, would be like, you know, Kathy is, Kathy is a wonderful person, E.G., and then I use the example of how what a wonderful person she is. I.E. means in other words. Uh, there is a difference. I'm trying to make it more clear. Um, well, well, it'll occur to you as we continue the conversation, but I want to get on to another topic, uh, something that you've gotten us to think about, uh, political terms, uh, like electoral or uh, gubernatorial or mayoral. Uh, are those the correct pronunciations? Because uh, you hear um, electoral, you hear mayoral uh, in, from, from news broadcasters. And then, of course, the uh, Iowa caucuses are almost here. Have you wondered where that word caucus comes from? Okay. Well, the one the thing with those is, um, I'm sorry, Ross, did I cut you off? No, go ahead, Kath. I was going to say uh, electoral and, and mayoral are, are not actually, uh, mayoral should be mayoral. Mm-hmm. But it's more often now mayoral, electoral. It, you could do two. You could do either way. I mean, it, it's 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 acceptable to do electoral or electoral. But technically, the preferred is electoral, that, with the with the pronunciation on the second. But you could use any of them. Yeah. Um, but now you're getting much more. And I, again, we go back to people trying to sound smart or whatever. You're getting more and more commonly hearing electoral and mayoral. Both of which are technically incorrect, but are, are acceptable now because <laughs> of usage. Years you ago, caucus, and that's a really fun, interesting word. Yeah. Caucus. Where does it because come it from? It sounds like it's Latin, but apparently there's no definite etymology or even a probable etymology. No one really knows where the word comes from. They think it's actually American, American English, hmm. and some people have suggested it comes from a, an old Algonquin word. Hmm. Native uh, American word, uh, Kalkasu, or something like that, in the dialect of Virginia. Other people say it comes from a club in Boston, the Caucus Club. But it's definitely an American word, which I think is sort of fitting for an American election. The one that gets me talking about um, uh, political words is gubernatorial. Because, hmm. I mean, why gubernatorial, you would think? I mean, everything else is electoral, is from elect, mayoral is from mayor, gubernatorial, we don't have gubernators. <laughs> but... But for whatever reason, that's the word now. Well, we could have gubernators. I want gubernators. I think we should bring that back. But gubernatorial is not an old word. It's, I mean, again, you think it's like sort of Latin, and it, it's fake Latin, really. I mean, it comes from the Latin, but it was initially we had governator, um, governance, government. But then the gubernators started in the 15th mm-hmm. century when, when all the English people wanted to make everything sound more classic. 
and gubernary came in, and um, they actually also had the words gubernate and gubernatrix, which I love, but uh, we don't have those. All we have is gubernatorial now. I do want to throw in something. It does come from the Latin, but in the Latin, in Roman times, uh, provincial leaders or whatever were not uh, gubernators or gubernators. Gubernator comes from with the word in Latin for helmsman on a ship. And, uh, in other words, and it came into English as someone who's guiding the ship of state, so to speak. And it does have a Latin origin, but never in the Oh, I, well, I, I, I thought I made that clear. I guess I didn't make it clear enough. No. I was just trying to reiterate it, though, just in case it didn't. So let's take some more calls. BAI, you're on the air. Hello, Leonard. It's Jeffrey Dooley. Hi, Jeffrey. Hi. So wonderful to hear you. Uh, I had a couple of things to say um, uh, about pronunciation. I actually teach pronunciation right now, uh, so I have a lot of things that I do. But one of my questions is uh, the ending ing is so often pronounced een by some people, e-e-n, and uh, I don't think it's a regional thing. I think give it's me an example. Bad. Well, an example would be uh, instead of saying um, coming. They say coming, hmm. changing the short I to a long E and dropping the G completely. To me, it's just a bad habit because uh, I've corrected it with students uh, that I've had. But it seems to be a, an identity, an identity of some people. They like to say coming, going, buying. That's interesting. I'm just thinking, because I was first going to say I don't think I've heard it, but now that I'm hearing you saying those words, yeah, people go like, I'm buying something. It's interesting. You're right, actually. I have heard that. My manager, unfortunately, says Melody Bunting, so I really can't correct her. But (laughs) I do correct it with uh, pronunciation students, uh, and I write it out, uh, E-E-N or I-N-G. Uh, and so they're changing the short I to a long E uh, and dropping the, the G, and, and the G. with an N. And it sounds weird. Uh, coming, going, uh, seeing. One person said seening for singing. Yeah, but, we, oh my gosh. but people have been <laughs> dropping the G at the end of words for a long time, coming through the rye. Song. Yeah, that's another thing. If you drop the, then you, you're still using the short I, the N sound, coming through the rye. But you would say coming through the rye is, uh, is just, a, it's just, I guess it's just a bad habit. I don't know. But um, it's all over the country. But I'm, I'm from Milwaukee originally, and it's completely dominant in Milwaukee. Wow. They all that's say interesting. Yes. Uh, maybe so, it's maybe it's a beer drinker thing. <laughs> I just think it's coming. You're right, though. I'm hearing more and more of of an yes. e. Oh. I'm, I'm trying to think of it, but I think you're absolutely right. Thank you so much for your call. Uh, let's take another one. Bai, you're on the air. Yeah. Uh, hi. Go ahead. Yeah, I was hoping somebody could clarify something for me. Uh, I've been hearing this at least the last ten to twenty years, but not before that. These singular use versus plural use, like plural use. For example, meaning like someone will say, this one, that one. And then the discrepancy for me is people say, these ones, those ones. It sounds redundant to me. Could someone clarify that, please? Thanks. So now, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm trying to understand the question. So you're saying this, people, instead of saying this one, will say these ones? No, no, I'm just saying they'll reference plural items, and they'll say, uh-huh. these ones, 
those ones. And that sounds redundant when I'm as far as the uh, plural part of this discussion. Sounds too redundant to also have to say ones when you're saying these is already these. I understand, plural. and it, I mean, you're actually technically right. It, it it would be redundant a bit, but I think again, it's just one of those things because you're taking because you you actually wait now. Now I'm getting curious about this. Um, this one versus Ross. What do you think? Now, explain when people say these ones. Wouldn't you, couldn't you just say these? Oh yeah, but language has. Language has, um, well, actually not necessarily. These ones could be referring to things that are countable in a singular sense, these individual ones. Yeah, no, it, it, I don't think you need to, I think that is tough. No, I just, has, it's, I'm, I'm stuck on this right now. It's interesting. Language has built-in redundancy. Ones is understood, and so let's see. Although, couldn't you argue that sometimes you want to say ones to, to be more specific, these ones as opposed to those? But it is redundant. You'd say these as opposed to those. I mean, that's the ones you're actually using to underscore, to emphasize, I would argue. But that would be it, really. It's not really necessary. Yeah, it isn't. I'm looking it up now. It does, it is, actually, it is old, too, though. It's in the King James version of the Bible, these ones. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, these you can always around. find an example, but, you know. Well, especially in the King James Bible. Yeah, right. Or Shakespeare. Those are the two you can count on. Let's take another call while you're looking, Russ. You found it? I asked about um, what I want to call new speak. It's a generational, generational thing. I'll call myself a boomer. And at one point I remember young people coming in saying um, it's all good. And that was the first one, a concept that was generally used that set my ears up. And then the way that in Newspeak, you know, it's the no problem instead of, you know, saying you're welcome. That includes no worries. And the whole what I'm calling generational Newspeak that's going on is what I'm interested in. Well, we're boomers as well, so you're among friends. <laughs> um, there are definite. You are, we are definitely seeing shifts in in language. I mean, it uh, the whole thing with all good, as you said. I mean, again, a lot of it's slang. But what I'm I don't know if you're noticing it, and if that's what you're referring to is a lot of stuff that begins as slang now has has seeped into regular writing and. Um, ostensibly uh, literate, you know, magazines, newspapers, and so forth. I'm, and, darned, and I I'm think, darned if I'll ever say no problem. Oh, gee, I you write know, it I all the time. You know, I say I say no problem. I do. Oh, it's, no. it's terrible, but I do. But I only do it on, on texts or emails. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, no yeah, problem. I think there's, there's a time and a place for, for, um, for slangier or more relaxed uh, communication, but... I, I would agree with you on that, but I do think I, I think we're fighting a losing battle, to be honest with you. I think that we're seeing more and more. But again, I go back to there's a bit of a dichotomy. On one hand, I see sloppiness increasing. On the other hand, I, I, I've, Ross and I have talked about this a lot. We're seeing more and more people trying to sound smarter, if you will, in quotes, and using more complex structure, often incorrectly. I didn't hear the question too well. I had problems with the phone. But So what you're saying is you object to some of these 
these neologisms coming into the language. You don't like these these terms. Is that what she's she's, what she's gone? Uh, sorry, but I think that that's what she's saying. Too. She's uh, concerned that uh, they kind of debase the language. But we've been talking about debasing the language ever since I was born, and I'm sure it, it occurred a lot earlier than that. We had a—I can't find them right now, but we had a really wonderful book written in the 1850s by a British individual really decrying American English. Mm-hmm. And there were hundreds of examples which have now become commonplace. And he just stand. And I do recall just reading a book on the Nuremberg Trials that— British um, chief prosecutor despised the Americans for using words like finalize, just couldn't stand them, and said he didn't consider them really jurists because they mangled the English language so frequently. Was he the one, Russ, who also didn't like the word contact? Yes. He said contact should never be used as a verb. I'll contact you, he said, is incorrect. Uh, and I'll now... contact you or something like that instead. Hated it. I'm just chiming in for a second on these ones or those ones. I pity the person he lived with. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps he didn't. (laughs) Perhaps he lived alone. (laughs) For good reason. Let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. We've got a lot of people calling in. Hi. Hi. This is Griffith. Leonard, I had a question. That bridge in Brooklyn... Is it Kosciuszko, Kosciuszko, or something else? Well, uh, this is a favorite of mine. Yeah. I want to hear your answer, Leonard. Is it Kosciuszko, Kosciuszko? Well, what is it? Well, I know it's Kosciuszko when if you're Polish, but it's Kosciuszko because uh, that's the way it's pronounced in Brooklyn. The same as uh, the the train station that's close to our station. Uh, the radio station here is Hoyt Skirmahorn. It should be mm-hmm. Hoyt Shermahorn, but. Uh, since everybody has called it Skirmahorn, that street Skirmahorn, uh, probably for 100 years, then that's what it is. The same thing with Kosciuszko. <laughs> it's the local's pronunciation. That's okay. a pet peeve of mine, because before, I, I kept hearing le- later years people saying on the news, Kosciuszko, and I was like, mm, we no. grew up Ross and I was Kosciuszko. It's like, what are there they talking go. about? Well, there are a lot of words like that. For example, the word gerrymandering, uh, named after a Massachusetts governor, also uh, James Madison's vice president, his name was Gary. Right. Uh, yeah. uh, right. He created uh, he created these districts that look like salamanders, um, to skew the vote, um, somebody once called me and said, well, his name was Gary. You should be saying gerrymandering. Well, no. If I said gerrymandering, <laughs> people would wonder what I was saying. Exactly. And if I said Kosciuszko, it would be the same thing. They were talking about Qatar, this uh, country in the Persian Gulf being pronounced, it should be pronounced more like copper or gutter. Uh, right. So a guy calls up the uh, airline, wants to make reservations for gutter. The person <laughs> said, where's that? You know, Qatar. He goes, oh, Qatar. So you can't win, really. He went up in the gutter. Uh, (laughs) That that had to be said, didn't it? (laughs) Well, I felt it had to be said. Let's take another call. (laughs) BAI, you're on the air. Hi, I love the show. Um, I I just want to say, I add to the last one, uh, Washington spelled Kashkushko's name 17 different ways until he found out what an extraordinary, wonderful person he was. Hmm. He, he deserves to be pronounced correctly, but <laughs> I probably didn't myself, so I shouldn't complain. But I want to explain one mispronunciation, and I'm mystified by another. 
So Beijing is mispronounced probably because it's a hyperforeignism. The way habanera is mispronounced as habanera, it just doesn't sound far, foreign enough. So people have to gin it up a little bit. So Jing is it's actually true. English. What's, in the case of Beijing versus yes. Beijing, is we found that often uh, Americans in particular, but English speakers in general, like to make things sound slightly French. They try to, they want to yeah. sound a little more like, you know, ooh la la, and right. that explains a lot of our odd pronunciations of, of foreign place names. Oh, we, I mean, totally we talked agree. about um, P H U K E T, which obviously is not pronounced the way many yes. people think it is, although they might want to say it sometimes. But um, I had the tendency to always think it was Fouquet, because that sounds French, and it looked like, you know, that it should be, and it's not. Fouquet, yeah. Now, that's, I, I'm, I'm that's in Thailand? Yeah, I, yes. The beach in Thailand. Yes, it's in Thailand, uh, which with a French word was once French Indochina, but... But part, maybe, I, no, maybe that didn't extend as far. I wonder whether part of the problem is that, uh, obviously, when it's written locally, it's not written uh, with Roman letters. So mm -hmm. when, when we try to come up with uh, uh, ways to write it in our kinds of alphabet, uh, it sometimes gets a bit confusing. You're absolutely right. Um, I have a question about uh, the wonderful 17-year-old uh, Swedish activist Greta Thunberg, is the way I say mm -hmm. it. But some people, some very smart people are saying Thunberg, and I, w I can't get that at all. <laughs> no, that's an, I wonder how they're getting that, because you don't have... Uh, now, B-E-R-G wouldn't be pronounced... I don't, I don't speak um, any Scandinavian language. It, it sounds a little like, like Bech, Bech. Yeah, but I don't speak Swedish, and I, but I certainly don't hear Thunberg, but wonderful, smart people are saying, oh, yes, that's what they hear, and I'm wondering if it's like that uh, gold or blue dress that people just... Yeah, when you can't, everybody sees one different thing. I'm yeah. looking, I'm just like, now I'm looking how to pronounce, I'm looking how to pronounce Greta, here we go, I'm going to listen to it in Swedish. Oh, oh great, great. It's yeah, okay, I just heard Greta Thunberg. Hmm. Really? And it was some guy from, a male from Sweden pronouncing oh, how it. Oh, interesting. Oh, my goodness. So now, well, I, but I... I, 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 I corrected. Well, you still, if you say Thunberg, nobody's going to know who you're talking about, so... That's true. We're back to Kaskasko here. <laughs> Let's take... Oops, we lost that call. In English, I think. I don't think we need to pronounce names completely in the foreign language when they come here. I don't, I mean, with my Greek names, I don't go Petras. Mm -hmm. My name is Petrus in, Greek, in English Greek. You know what I mean? I don't think we should overly translate either. And my name, uh, my name is Lopata in Russian. Uh, I think it means shovel. And, or, and you see it in a number of Slavic languages, Tom Wopat, for example, mm -hmm. Polish. Uh, but uh, when my grandfather, when they wrote it out in Roman letters, L-O-P-A-T-E, people here started pronouncing it Lopate. My grandfather said, okay, it's Lopate. Mm -hmm. Go with it. Yeah. yeah. No, exactly. I'm, a, I'm in well, America. We have a, our grandfather, when he came over, was Eliopolis, and it became Leopold. So <laughs> <laughs> that was that. <laughs> I think we could sneak one or two more calls in. Uh, BAI, you're on the air. Hi. I think that gubernatorial didn't come into usage till the mid-20th century when when Jimmy Carter ran for governor because he was a peanut farmer. Oh, good pun. <laughs> I 
waited 40 years to tell that pun. <laughs> you got big points from the peanut gallery. <laughs> Okay. Thank you so much for sharing. Okay, we're going to sneak another one in. Hi, BAI, you're on the air. Are you there? Hi. Go ahead, quickly. Hi, am I on the air? Yes, you are. We're on delay. You're on delay on your radio. That's what's confusing you. Hi, my name is Angel, and I want to uh, put in a word for Spanish uh, pronunciations. For example, when I was in school, the Nina, the Pinta, the Santa Maria should have been the Nina. Mm-hmm. And also, yeah. I never knew until I was an adult that it was Cape Canaveral, not Canaveral. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I never think Nina, but you're absolutely right. That's blown me away for some reason. <laughs> Cape Canaveral? Could you Canaveral. that again, Cape? Canaveral means it's part of the cane field, so it's Canaveral. Oh, that's interesting. I did not know that's that. That's cool. And then you have Jalapeno, not Jalapeno. Yeah. Which Emerald yeah. Lagasse pronounces incorrectly. And why don't we go with Los Angeles and Colorado? Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'll, I'll get off to, and listen to your response. Thank you very much for your great show. Thank you. I must say, they sound so much nicer that way. I, I like Los Angeles much more than Los Angeles, you know? <laughs> that, though, in the 1930s, a lot of movies, they say Los Angeles. Mm. I hear that all the time. That was like a 30s pronunciation of it. You're right, like in noir films. You're yeah, absolutely right. And it changed into Angeles, both of which are not that near the Correct, <laughs> technically, right. We're, we're running out of time, and I wanted to talk about your new book that's coming out in March called Awkward Moments, A Lively Guide to the 100 Terms Smart People Should Know. You're obviously a, a play on the word awkward because you spell it with an O. What can you tell us about it? Well, the idea basically is which words do we use that are sort of highfalutin words, and we use them, inject them into conversation, but secretly or not so secretly, we have no idea what they mean. Or we have a vague idea of what they mean, and we're often using them wrong. I, I'm guilty of a bunch of them, but and we have everything in there. We have a lot of Latin in there, like uh, prima facie, I can't even pronounce it, sine qua non is in there, QED. Uh, quantum is one word that's used constantly nowadays, um, often wrong we don't really uh, we asked actually when we started writing about quantum we asked people like do you know what it means and everyone would say yes and then they go what does it mean they'd be like uh uh you know it was that big pause so you should have asked some mechanics like that it's the words we go uh when we're asked <laughs> i'm not going to make that joke again um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh please do <laughs> yeah. you should have asked some mechanics about quantum um, uh, you shouldn't have. <laughs> is, is there enough material in the English language to keep you writing books into the foreseeable future? I, I think we can write until we're dead. <laughs> There's a lot more. And uh, you do definitely inspire listeners to call in uh, because the, most of us are confused about uh, why certain things have turned out the way they have in pronouncing. Uh, Join the club. We've been confused since we began writing. English gets deeper. The deeper we get into English, the more uh, the more complications seem to enter in. Will the it's new fun. book be from Ten Speed Press as well? Yeah. Yes, it will. And meanwhile, and you we... have to have us on to talk about it. You realize? Oh, you know you're invited, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll even try to get you on before the book is published. <laughs> but meanwhile, people have uh, two other books that you have collaborated on. 
to look at. Uh, that does one. That doesn't mean what you think it means. The 150 most commonly misused words and their tangled histories. And the other one is you're saying it wrong. A pronunciation guide to the 150 most commonly mispronounced words and their tangled histories of misuse. Both from 10 Speed Press. My great thanks to the both of you for being on our show, Catherine Petrus and Ross Petrus. It's always a pleasure talking with you. Thanks so much. We always enjoy it, and the questions are fun. We oh. I mean, we really enjoy it. We have such a smart audience, don't you think? And it's wonderful to hear New York accents again. <laughs> We're both away from New York, and it's wonderful to hear those voices. That brings us to the end of today's show. Special thanks uh, to... Uh, Barbara Kahn for producing it. If you're new to this program and you like what you've been hearing, you can access past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. We're also available as an iTunes podcast. And don't forget to check out Leonard Lopate at Large on Facebook and Twitter and our website, LeonardLopateAtLarge.com, where you can find links to all of our past shows. You can also leave comments on all of those different places. Join us tomorrow when Tim Robbins will talk about his latest projects. We'll see you then. And uh, we hope that you'll do your part to keep WBAI financially secure. One way to do that is by becoming a BAI buddy, by going to WBAI.org or by calling 516-620-3602. And uh, we, it'll be about 10 or $15 a month or more if, if you can afford it. Uh, it really helps us uh, get past our economic problems. So um, please consider doing that. Again, uh, the, the number to call, 516-620-3602, or go to wbai.org. And we hope you will become a BAI buddy. <laughs>